Manx Care has been in the news lately more for its troubles than successes and one of Manx Care's board members expressed concern at what our health services would become if it doesn't receive a substantial £20 to £30 million budgetary increase. Health Minister Laurie Hooper MHK had a very public spat with the Health Services Consultative Committee and is now planning to change their terms of reference. Laurie Hooper, is is the 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 whole relationship between the department and Manx Care, you know, is that actually working in the way that it was envisaged, or are we still in the the formative stages of this, and should we give it a bit more time? I think it's a bit of both, if I'm honest. So I think I think the relationship is quite good, uh, and quite a lot of the stuff that we do, I think, is working quite well um, together. Um, you'll have seen, uh, you know, this week in terms of operational issues that Manx Care had, uh, the cardiology, for example, where an administrative error led to the cancellation of some appointments. But Manx Care managed to resolve that um, relatively quickly. Actually, as soon as they were aware of the issue, they resolved that, and and actually that's that's been dealt with quite quickly. And I think that didn't need the department to step in in any way, shape, or form. Um, obviously, I was made aware of the issues by a number of constituents but the reality is Manx Care just up and dealt with it uh, entirely themselves so I think the system is actually working as intended it's only when things uh, are escalated to a point where the department needs to to kind of intervene and engage in those conversations with Manx Care and again when we've seen that happen we've seen that system work pretty well as well Um, so I'm reasonably comfortable where we are uh, to be honest in, in terms of the journey but I think you're right in saying that we're still in that formative stage with some of the work so the mandate assurance piece for example around data collection and KPIs and metrics and getting some of that feedback around quality, safety, patient experience, getting that into the system so we can continue to make those kind of incremental improvements. That, I think, is a process that is is in need of strengthening and that's the process we're going through at the moment with some of the changes we're making to strengthen some of those feedback loops uh, from patients, from services directly, from the oversight we get from people like the CQC or Ofsted to make sure that it's all uh, quite aligned in one place and then obviously that feeds through into the mandate and the regular oversight the department has. So in broad terms, I think things are working. Uh, Things are working quite well in terms of the structure and the way that it should work. Uh, But there's uh, clearly more to do. And and part of the reason, I mean, maybe you you can describe in, in, in better words than I can, but part of the reason for this change was to, uh, I suppose, make clearer what the financial need of healthcare delivery was for the Ireland. But uh, it was also about ensuring that patients were more involved, perhaps, in, in... in their care than perhaps they had been in the past. Uh, is is that the, the, the general idea about why we wanted to establish this in the first place? So, so I think that's the intention with what we're calling the reform bill, so the health and social care uh, bill that, that we're bringing forward in the next year or two. Uh, the intention is to include in there a lot more requirements around patient choice and patient involvement in, in services, especially when it comes to things like social care. Um, but no, the main reason for setting up Max Care and splitting it from the department was the department was forever engaged in operational worries. So you didn't have the headspace uh, or the capacity or the resource to take a step back and do long-term planning and long-term thinking. Uh, so, you know, you're publishing five or ten year strategies, for example, and what typically government does is it publishes a strategy and then it just sits on a shelf. And that's what we've seen in the past. And that's not what, what is helpful. So what this administration is doing and what, what we're trying to move towards is a system whereby if you have a strategy it needs to have an action plan implementation and actually costing you need to know what it's going to cost and someone has to have an idea of who's going to do it and that's the kind of work that the department can now do because it's not enmeshed in actually the day-to-day running of a hospital Uh, and so our ability to just take a step back and let manx care 
actually run and make those day-to-day operational decisions and worry about the staff pressures and the patient pressures uh, gives the department that headspace to then actually start thinking, well, what should the next five years look like? What should the next 10 years look like? And it also gives us a bit more control because ultimately in the past, the Department of Health provided the services, who was regulating them, who was making sure those services were safe and effective and value for money. And the answer was, well, it should have been Timwald ultimately, but Timwald can't really do that at that level of detail. So the other reason for splitting is now we have an operational arm, which is Manx Care, doing the doing, and we're the ones doing the checking, doing the watching, doing the oversight and the scrutiny. And so improving that uh, inevitably with those feedback loops that I've just talked about will help improve quality and service delivery and make sure patients are, are really at the heart of what's being done. Having had two years of that uh, that headspace then, what, what kind of thoughts are emerging from the department? So if you look in our department plan, that's where most of it is set out. So we've already published the implementation work for the adoption legislation that was done last year. We're working on publishing the capacity implementation plan uh, and, and actions off the back of the capacity bill that came in. We're working on and we'll be shortly publishing an autism uh, strategy. We will be publishing a carer's strategy pretty soon, uh, the homelessness strategy that's about to come forward as well via housing communities. A lot of work was done by the department on that homelessness work as well. So there's a lot of this kind of, uh, like you say, philosophizing this kind of more big picture. How do you bring things together? How do you start planning for the next five to ten years? That's coming out as well. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of work in the nursing and residential care space. As, as you know, we've announced that big change at the government conference and that consultation that we're going to be starting pretty soon. Um, on what the future of nursing and residential care looks like. So there's a lot of this kind of big picture stuff that previously I think the department would never have have been able to engage in simply because they'd have been spending most of their time trying to deal with the operational day-to-day of running a health service. The... Um, one of the, the, the highlights or, or, or interesting um, comments that I noted over the summer was the, um, the a view that perhaps there isn't uh, still uh, there isn't sufficient uh, funding for the health services and indeed I think one of the um, the um, was it the one of the board members were, were was basically suggesting that uh, government was going to have to stump up an awful lot more cash if uh, we were to continue to have a meaningful uh, health service in line with what um, most of the public expectation is. It were were they um, barking up the wrong tree there? Were they absolutely right? But actually, there's no chance that they're going to get the money. Or have you had a a, a fantastic summer with your? Um, colleague for Ramsey, the Treasury Minister, and, and um, the money is going to flow uh, in in, in uh, ne- next April. I think the truth is it's somewhere between two and three there. Um, if you look back at the independent report from Sir Jonathan that obviously Tim Wald fully endorsed and approved, uh, the whole principle behind that report was it was a package of measures. Not a, You couldn't pick and choose. You, you did it all or you did nothing, basically. Uh, and his report was very clear that the health, the demand on the health services was going to grow exponentially into the future unless we did something and so that exponential growth would quite clearly have been totally unaffordable for us so that's why we started the transformation work now that because uh, i don't know why it didn't start immediately but it didn't start quickly enough and then we had covid in the middle which delayed things a bit so it's a bit behind uh, where it should have been Uh, but ultimately that report said you do need to invest more money Um, what the report was saying is you're going to need to invest a significant amount more and if you don't do that the actual bill is going to be 
even higher again eye-wateringly high the challenge we've had is the health service hasn't had that investment so whilst the treasury uh, this time around have committed to those increased funding requirements because the last administration didn't do that initial bump that was needed the health service is always operating in a deficit we're always slightly behind where we should be uh, and this year you've seen the forecasts from manx care in, in the 20 to 30 million range that's what manx care are talking about that's pretty much where they predicted they'd be this time last year with with the budget process so this isn't a surprise to anyone and and for those who aren't familiar with this the 20 to 30 range is 20 to 30 million overspent uh so it's over budget i would describe it as because if you look at the year-on-year increase their actual increase is only eight percent on what they're actually spending so the the amount that they're actually spending has gone up by less than inflation um because of the work they're doing around efficiencies and cost savings but because the budget was never adjusted to that uh, right size almost off the back of sir jonathan's report there's a gap between budget and reality and that's what we're trying to find a way of closing at the moment with the treasury is to say well how do we make the budget reflect reality because you are talking 20 to 30 million you know it's not small numbers here but in the grand scheme of things we spend 300 million on our health service actually that's only eight percent of the budget it's not a uh, a really a big number if you're talking about home affairs or deaf or enterprise you know eight eight percent would be in the hundreds of thousands of pounds rather than the millions it's just the scale of, of what we do in health and, and mostly that's driven by demand. So mostly it's because people are getting older, people are generally uh, becoming more unwell, uh, partly because we're all getting older. That's the nature of, of living on the Isle of Man with our demographics the way they are. And so if you want to uh, even keep pace with what we're seeing in terms of demand, you have to meet that investment. If Timwald makes the choice and says, actually, we don't want to make, meet that investment, we don't want to invest that money, the reality will be, well, then we can't keep services even at the level that they're at right now. Because right now we're saying we need 30 million. Uh, and if you're saying you can't have it, then actually what you're looking at is saying, well, what kind of health service can we deliver when we've had a 10% budget cut almost? And that's the conversation that, that needs to be had with Tim Ward now and with the public is really what sort of health service do you want? I don't want to change the way we deliver healthcare. I think this free at the point of use model uh, and the expectation that you have a high level of service, you know, on par with the UK or in advance of the UK in some ways, I think that's where we should be. That will require us to invest. There may be a view out there that says, no, actually, we, we don't think that's appropriate maybe people will say yes we'd be happy to move to a channel island stipe uh, co-payment model where you pay for some things and some things are free that's not where i would like to go that's not my philosophy uh, but it is something that we're going to have to talk about just to make sure that we're doing what the public want us to do and expect us to do because ultimately i think you're right phil the public expect a high level of service uh, but you only get a high level of service when you fund it you, you can't have a, a high gold standard service if you're paying for second rate postage that's that's not the way it works and uh, sadly for me, uh, anyway, I, I, I genuinely am sad that I missed the uh, Isle of Man government conference this year. Uh, I have looked, because I think the chief minister hinted that there would be some big announcements. Um, I, I've looked to see what those announcements might be in relation to where the money's going to come from. And we still appear to be putting all our chips on red and hoping that the 100,000 population is in some way going to solve all our problems. Uh, am I being 
overly uh, mischievous in, in painting the picture in that way? I think you're being a bit negative. Um, I think the, the population growth is it's happening anyway, so we're seeing net migration of about 1,000 people a year anyway coming in, so that, that is happening. Uh, the trick is how do you manage that effectively? And I think over time, that population growth and that economic growth will help balance the books. That That's, again, that's the way the world is. That will definitely help. The question that I think we have to ask ourselves is, will that help by itself? Will that be enough? And I think the answer to that is probably no. I think it's too slow. Like I say, we need we need that money invested today to make sure that in five years' time, the health service isn't entirely unsustainable. And so whilst in five years we might be in a much better place financially, we can't wait five years to invest. And so I think it will help close that gap. It will help solve the funding issues. So with a lot of other things government's doing around investing in brownfield sites or dealing with offshore energy or whatever it may be, all those things will help, but they won't happen today. And that's where the timing issue comes in. We need funding now to stop things getting worse and we can't wait for the money to kick in. So that's the, uh, I think the dichotomy Treasury are trying to face is, well, how do we invest today without putting that future at risk? Because if, if we don't invest, we're at risk. But if we do invest, that also carries a, a different level of, of risk and a different potential set of outcomes. So it's not an easy position, I think, that the Treasury Minister is in. Uh, but I think we all acknowledge the reality of the situation, which is if you want a good quality health service, you have to be willing to pay for it. Uh, otherwise, you have to look at lowering your service expectations. And I don't think that's where the Manx public are. So you tell me, what, what actually has this government committed to over the course of this five-year term? Uh, so if you look in the uh, medium-term financial plan, which is Treasury's forecasting document, uh, you can see the numbers and you can actually see what Treasury are forecasting the gap being, and it is quite significant. Um, but uh, actually, I think next year's forecast gap is about £28 million, so it's roughly where we expected it to be anyway. Um, I, I think it's fair to say the pink book still hasn't given it that bump that's needed, so that initial uh, re-baselining, I suppose, of the budget is what's never really happened. What the Treasury have done in this administration, which the last government didn't do, was actually provide that inflation plus uplift. So we had an inflation plus uplift in both years. Um, last year's 2023 um, budget for this year actually wasn't quite enough because uh, because inflation was so high, Treasury uh, slashed their inflation forecast for use in the budget, so it was 5% instead of 8 so we didn't get a, a, a big inflation boost this year. Uh, but, the, but last year, MaxCare did. Um, but I think the, uh, the the fact that it, we've never had that initial bump, which Sir Jonathan was talking about in his report, and says, look, there's a gap here. That's the thing that's dogging us still, and that's the question that really only Treasury can, can answer in terms of, well, how do they plan to meet that bump? Uh, because that's fundamentally the question that's on the table at the moment. And, of course, it's not just Treasury, is it? It's the whole of Isle of Man government mm. has, to, has to really reflect on this, and indeed Tinwald, and indeed, I suppose, the people of the Isle of Man maybe people in the Isle of Man would be willing to pay a, a little bit towards certain services. And I, I don't know, how, how much of a, a conversation are you actually having with the public in relation to some of these things? Uh, so at the moment we are looking at some very specific areas. So prescription charging, for example, is, is on the cards. We've been consulting with uh, doctors and medics and the local associations about that so something will be coming forward in respect of changing the prescription exemptions processes and the prescription charging regime uh, we will be looking at things like the way dentistry is funded or eye tests but these are very much you know peripheral issues uh, we haven't gone as far as starting to talk about you know what else would we want to charge for because like i say my philosophy is we don't want to do that we don't want to be charging for things so it's not a conversation i'm particularly open to at the moment but i think it's something that we do risk 
having to have if we're not if we're not careful uh, so really the conversation with the public has been uh, as we had a conversation at the government conference for example uh, around nursing care was well if you want to improve your nursing and residential care system there'll have to be some funding for that uh, and it was mooted by some member of the audience that maybe we should be charging something a bit more on national insurance or maybe you should have a new new income tax or something and, and i think that's the space that most people that i talk to are in they're saying okay we want good services and actually we'd be happy to pay a little bit more through our taxation systems in one way or another in order to help fund that so that tends to be the feedback <coughs> that i get from people is in is in that space really more than than actually we'd like to, to pay uh, you know for like they're doing guernsey pay for an ambulance or pay for a gp appointment that isn't generally the feedback that, that I get from people uh, so it's, it's not a direction of travel that I, I think we're moving in to be honest I think we are looking at continuing with that holistic service delivery approach but then obviously you're right Phil that puts pressure on Tinwald to to do what it needs to do and what we've seen over the last couple of years um, I'm not sure if it's worse now than it used to be but Tinwald resolutions coming left right and centre asking us to do specific things without really any thought as to the potential financial consequences so I've been very clear with my colleagues in Tinwald you know we're trying to do what we're doing now well doing more really isn't on the cards because of the financial situation so we're looking at efficiencies and improving service delivery you know please don't ask us to go and try and fund brand new services or brand new construction and brand new buildings because the reality is uh, we, we don't think we'll have the resources to do that so let's focus on getting the basics right focus on doing what we do and doing it well uh, and that way we'll improve services for people and that's kind of what I've been asking my colleagues in Timwell to do is just focus on ultimately on patients and make sure that they're getting a better service Service, rather than worrying too much about kind of gold-plated or, or white elephant schemes as Timwald is, is want to do. You um, had, it's fair to say, a little bit of a, a, a spat with the outgoing chair of the Health Services Consultative Committee. It's fair to say that his recollection of events and your recollection differed. And then we find on the order paper that you are now reviewing the, the whole committee and introducing new regulations to uh, to govern how that uh, committee works could you see how that might look to to people in uh, you know, general public who who are maybe seeing that seeing the spat that went on and then seeing the as a result of the spat the minister is uh, introducing legislation to to silence the health services consultative committee uh, i'm sure you you have a, a different view to that but could you see how that might be a, a so perception I, I think it's not right to say his recollection differed from mine because the outgoing chair hasn't been present uh, for the last year he has no recollection because he wasn't in the room so he was passing on hearsay that he'd heard from a third party uh, which well, that's his choice ultimately it's not what i would have done i would have made sure i got my facts straight before i went public but ultimately that was a choice that he made um but no reforming the hscc has been on the cards for a while actually at their request uh, at the outset because they acknowledge that they don't have the viaries to do the things which needed to be done i.e getting into manx care and looking at the services so if you look at the primary law around the hscc what's what their job is uh, in the law is to uh be a consultative body for the department so we can ask them questions so prescription charging for example we sent them the prescription charging consultation and said what do you think about this uh, so that's one of their core functions and but the other core function uh, that they have is to um provide views on services provided under the act so it's very specifically about services that's what they're supposed to be doing uh, but if you look back at the last few annual reports that's not what's been happening uh, and I think part of that is because of the shift to Manx Care. So previously, when the department delivered services, 
they were scrutinizing the department and so they could scrutinize services directly with the establishment of max care uh, nothing was really done to shift that focus. So the regs didn't change, the law didn't change uh, in, in line with the Manx Care Act, and it probably should have done, in fairness. It should have been done when Manx Care was established to say, right, services have moved, so the people looking at services also need to move. Uh, and that didn't happen. So that's basically what we're doing with the change, is saying to the, um, the HSCC, you need to look at services, which is what the law says you should look at. The key thing for us as a department is like we've talked about already, that the oversight of Manx Care. And we do that in a number of ways. So you have your the KPIs, your metrics, your, your wait times, your, you know, how long to get a GP appointment, the number of people that have operations, the number of looked after children, number of foster carers, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's very data heavy. Um, you've then got your... Uh, clinical quality, so our quality and safety, which is things like the CQC inspections or Ofsted, they're the ones that assess against a clinical standard. Is the service safe? Is it effective? Are you getting the care that you need? But the problem with both of those uh, streams is they're quite clinical, they're quite cold. And what we're missing is that third stream that says, what's the patient experience? What are patients seeing in the system? And there's a bit of that with the CQC, and there's a bit of that with our engagement forum through the, uh, the mandate work, uh, but really that's the bit of the puzzle that needs to be uh, filled in. And that's where the HSCC come in, because in the UK they have bodies like Healthwatch, and it's their job to essentially talk to patients, observe things that are going on, and feed that back to local NHS trusts and saying this is a bit of an issue, or what are you doing about this? And it is very much the patient experience. So I'll give you an example. I was up at Nobles yesterday for an appointment, and I was at my GP this morning for an appointment. When I checked in at Nobles, uh, they had a nurse coming out saying, I don't want any appointment letters to hand in. That's how they check you in. In the GP surgery, you walk in, there's a touch screen, you just tap your details and it checks you in automatically. CQC wouldn't pick up on that. Our KPIs wouldn't pick up on that. But actually by going to services and looking at them directly, you can say, well, hold on a second, why don't we just check in at the hospital the same way they do in GP surgeries? Wouldn't that be quicker? Wouldn't that save a nurse's time? Wouldn't that be more efficient? That's the bit of the puzzle that I think HSCC can really add a lot of value in. That's the bit that they can do. They can talk to patients, they can get direct feedback, and rather than waiting a year to produce a report, they can feed that in straight away to Max Care, and they can feed that straight away into the department to say patients are experiencing this. This is what it means to patients when you have long wait times, or this is what the system, uh, you know, you think it works brilliantly, but this is what really happens. You know, you think your appointment system might be great, but this is how patients interact with it. These are the issues. In the UK, like I said, they've got Healthwatch that, that do that. We don't really have that function. That's what I think HSCC can do and can add a lot of value at. So the regulations actually uh, have changed to enable that to happen. So one of the new requirements in the regs is now that the department can ask them to go and visit uh, and observe services. And we're not expecting them to do clinical observations you know you don't want them in the theatres when surgery is going on that would be madness and um, that's what the cqc do is the clinical safety so we're not asking lay people to go and audit uh, services in that way but what we're asking them to do is to take their critical eye from a patient perspective and say well actually let's look at the way patients interact with this service that's the change ultimately and it, it's been like i say it's been on the cards for a while um we are doing all of our bodies. We've done the Ombudsman. Uh, we're doing these guys. We're going to be looking at Mental Health Commission and how we can enhance and improve what they do and give them a bit more scope, probably. So it's just part of the, the journey, really. 
Uh, it is fair to say, though, that HSCC aren't entirely on board uh, with this. I, I struggle to understand why, because from my perspective, from Manx Care's perspective, this is the bit of the puzzle that we, we really want them to, to get into. And a lay committee like this, I think, is the right way of doing it, um, rather than employing loads of people to, to do this on a full-time basis. It feels like the right thing to do. It's the kind of thing that I think patients uh, want, service users want. They want the ability to say, I've got a little niggle here. How do you how do I feed that back? How, who do I talk to about it? And then, not only who do I talk to about it, but who is it that's going to make something happen? Who's going to provide that feedback to Manx Care and then keep on at them and making sure it happens? So we're keeping the annual report, for example. So there will be an annual report that will get published every year so the public and Timwald can see what the HSCC are doing, the services they've gone in, the sort of patient experience that I'm talking about. Um, the intention is they're still going to be attending department quality meetings. They'll probably still be in the Manx Care meetings, governance meetings, but also they can uh, do that service um, ob- observing, I'll say, rather than inspections, because it is more about observation and feedback. So, yeah, that, that's kind of where we're going with it. That's what the hope is with this. Um, and that's the intention, definitely, of the changes is to try and integrate the HSCC more into what the department does now that we've got that separation between us and Manx Care. So I, I think it will result in quite a positive change and quite a, a beneficial change, actually, for patients on the island. That was Health Minister Laurie Hooper, MHK. Are you concerned at the direction of travel of reforms in the health service? Should government cough up the extra £30 the health services seem to need? Would you be prepared to pay more, either through direct charges or taxes, to ensure a better service? Let me know your thoughts on the programme by contacting philgorn at manxradio.com and get in touch if you have any ideas for future shows. For now, though, I'm Phil Gorn. Goromayo, thanks for listening.